Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Good, so we've been looking at some, some uh, well, what would they be? Beginning principles for new believers, but, you know, everything about our faith that we walk in, actually we learned when, the very beginning. It's always good to review and to see what the Lord um, has done in the past and look at it again. We've talked about the benefits of the communion that we receive together, the power of prayer and coming together in prayer. Talked about our baptism. What did that mean? We talked about our exchange life, that it's not a journey of self-improvement, but discovering how Christ can live through us and attain the things that we can't attain on our own. We talked about our tithes and offerings and all these things. Today, what I want to talk about is our peace, because you might not realize how important it is and how powerful it is that we have received peace with God. When I gave my life to Christ years ago, there was, there was this mixture of feelings that definitely included peace, an overwhelming sense of peace with God. Now, up until that point, I got saved as a, as, as a young boy, but you never knew that you weren't at, there was some missing peace inside of you. But you know, we were created out of the heart and the the desire of God. He wanted to see you exist. That's why you do exist. But understanding even beyond all of that, though, because of our, he gave us a a choice to choose him or not. We were conceived in sin, the fall of man, where humanity's paid a great price for that. We personally paid a great price for that. But then even as a child coming to the Lord, you know, you're born, you're born not knowing the Lord. So you don't realize what you don't have. It's your normal. But then when you come to Christ, you come into a new normal. And part of that is just a tremendous peace with God. You've been really, the sense of being reconciled with him, having not even known beforehand there was a disruption, and yet being restored back to your creator. And that releases joy in your life and just a sense of being clean. The the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away shame, to wash away um, your conscience, not, not wash away your conscience, but wash your conscience clean. Um, <laughs> so don't live like your conscience has been washed away, okay? Live like your conscience has been washed. All right, good. Um, just understanding the, um, the power of Christ that saves us and keeps us. Now, I just want to say this. We live in a terribly disrupted world. A world without peace. What sets the believer apart is peace. The temptation is to get involved in the the hype, the fear, the anxiety, all of the emotions that the world is feeling because they're not connected to the Lord. We can actually begin to get wrapped up into those kind of mindsets. And the Lord would remind us that we have been We have been saved so that we might know the peace of God, and then how we live is out of the peace of God. Um, So that is just a a wonderful privilege that we have today. So now, how many of you would say with me, it's tempting to enter into the peacelessness that's in the world, right? It's a real temptation and all of that. And um, we want to learn how to live above the turmoil that's around us because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. 
And um, so that's a beautiful thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn to a very familiar psalm. And I would like, appreciate if you would follow me with a lot of scriptures that we're going to read today. Because I want us to build a biblical foundation of peace in our lives. Why we should expect to walk in peace. Now as we look at Psalm chapter 23, a lot of you could look at that psalm and say, I don't even need to look at it in my Bible. I can recite it for you. There are certain scriptures that are very popular. Now, all the Word of God is equally inspired by the Lord, but there are some passages that have become many people's favorites because they minister to people, and if you look at them, a lot of times it's because they minister to us when we're really in a time of need. This is a psalm that's written about how we live when we're in the presence of our enemies, okay? We're not talking about Thanksgiving dinner, although we might be. We are talking about living in a world that opposes who we are. And so Psalm chapter 23 starts out with a beautiful picture. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say amen to that? The Lord is my shepherd. I have watching over me someone who cares about my provision, my sleep, my rest, my peace, um, and my life. The Lord... God is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. Now, this is the phrase I want us to look at. He leads me beside quiet waters. The Lord leads by quiet waters. He doesn't lead by some rushing storm. He doesn't lead by great tornadoes and hurricanes. He doesn't lead by fire or earthquakes. He leads beside quiet waters. The journey God has for you is meant to be a peaceful and a quiet journey. So take any value of your life right now. Take an assessment and just ask yourself the question. Now, it doesn't mean there's not like chaos and trouble maybe happening all around you, but I want to ask you this. Is your journey with the shepherd a quiet, peaceful stream journey? He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, now wait a minute. The Lord is leading me by quiet streams, and yet I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm eating at a table surrounded by my enemies. But still, the journey's meant to be a quiet stream. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Certainly, goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I pray that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would fall upon this word today and upon our ears and upon our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are always welcome in this place, and I pray that you would come and that you would minister today. I pray, Father, for anybody that's living right now, any believer that's living in disruption, that, Lord God, you would lead them to the quiet waters today. And I also pray, Lord God, for anyone who doesn't know Jesus, that today they would be reconciled with you and they would be saved and delivered from the power of sin, and they would come into the kingdom of light and of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
So I want us to look today about the whole issue about being led by the Lord. I think if you're a new believer, but if you've known the Lord for a long time, you want to be led by the Lord. There is a path that the Lord has set before you. There is a path that you want to follow that path, and you're uniquely made for it. I've given my life to the Lord now, so I ask myself the question, can I expect to be led by him? If I gave him lordship, then I've given him the, the opportunity, the I've, I've, I've invited him in to lead me so that I could walk in the paths of righteousness. I want to be on the right path in this life. Can I hope to be led by the Lord? Is that a hope that you can have? Does the Lord have a path for me? The sign of a true believer, I want to read in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. What is the sign of a true believer? For all, the scripture says, who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and the daughters of God. Actually, isn't that amazing? The Bible says, who's a believer? Those who are being led by God. That defines a believer. That's really amazing. How many believers have come to Christ and think that what defines them is actually the fact that they're forgiven? Well, that's beautiful and it's true. But really, isn't it unique that the Bible says, but here's what defines you. You are led by God. You are not there out there on your own. You are not an orphan spirit in this world. You are led, you are cared for, you are provided for by God. God wants to, to show you every step of the journey. That's what he wants to do. So it says, those who are led are the sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You're not on your own. You should not be afraid. You have a good shepherd. You are not to enter into the bondage, the slavery of fear. If you live in fear, you are enslaved by fear. When you are enslaved by fear, you do the bidding of someone else. If fear is in your life, then you talk out of fear, you behave out of fear, you walk out of fear, you make plans out of fear. Everything is done by fear because you're a slave of fear. Fear doesn't come just to mess with you. Fear comes to own you. Fear determines to put you on the wrong destiny. It is not the spirit of God that causes you to fear in this life. The only fear that comes from God is the fear of the Lord, right? Any other fear is to bring you into bondage to the enemy, the father of fear. So here's what it says. Don't enter into slavery leading to fear. You have not received that spirit. You have received the spirit of adoption. We already talked about that in this series. God came into the orphanage of this world, and he looked at you and he says, I want that one right there. That's what he did. God said, I want you. That's why Jesus said, you didn't choose me. Did you ever hear about a child in an orphanage choosing in the world who his parent would be? Have you ever heard of anybody choosing who their parent was going to be? No, Christ is letting us know, I came to your orphanage. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I wanted you. I don't regret you. You're mine. I knew what I was getting myself into. The one who knew the beginning from the end, the one who knew every step that we would take, still decided that he would choose us. How amazing is that? We've not received. That's why he says, don't give yourself 
to a, the, a, a spirit of slavery, again under fear. But you receive the spirit of adoption. Act like an adopted son of God. Talk to your God like he wants you. Talk to your God like he loves you. Talk to your God like he owns you. Talk to your God that has a good plan for your life. That's who you are. You are saved and set free from the power of sin. The Lord is yours. You belong to him and he belongs to you. That's the spirit of adoption. And it says the spirit of adoption cries out and says, Abba, Father. Abba. It's not, it's not the word for father in the Greek there. It's the Hebrew word that's interjected there. It's the word for Papa. It's an informal word. It's a word that repeats like a child can say choo-choo or Papa or Wawa or whatever. It is a very childlike term for something that it means it's an endearing relationship with him. They love the nickname you have for them. Oh, don't you love the way he cries out to me? And that's how the Father says to us, you have been adopted. Live like an adopted son. Talk to God like he's Papa. It says in verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you are, first off, it says, if you're led by the Spirit of God, you are a son of God. The Spirit of adoption, now he says, comes and speaks to us and let us know that we are a child of God. Right now, I'm going to let you know at the end of the service, I'm going to give an opportunity for you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. How do you know whether you need him today or not? Because the word here that we just read says, you will receive a spirit of adoption that will cause you to cry out to God, Abba, Father, and he will testify to you that you are a child of God. Do you have the inner testimony? Do you have the voice of the Spirit of God? Do you have the witness inside of you that you've been born again by God. You cannot have confronted the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them and not know that you encountered him. If he lives inside of you, you know it. If you've got the power of God inside of you, it is recognizable. It is a power like no other power you've experienced. So the Spirit testifies that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs also, heirs of God. Did you realize that you are an heir of God? Oh, my word, God is, he came, God became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh. He died on the cross, right? God died on the cross. You're, you have received an inheritance, and the one who had everything died so that you could get it. That's absolutely amazing. The power of God, the resources of God, the favor of God, the favor of heaven, the healing power of Christ, all of that belongs to God. Jesus showed us what belongs to God. When he healed, when he forgave, right? When he provided, when he multiplied food, he showed what someone can do that has received the inheritance of God. God is your Father, that's why you're not afraid, because he has everything. And as you look at this passage right here, you're an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ. What is a fellow heir? Your, your verse might say a joint heir. It means when you are a joint heir with someone, that means you receive everything with the other. So a lot of times we think that Jesus was the favorite brother 
and that he died on the cross and that he got everything from God and then hopefully that some things that Jesus doesn't need, we can get some of those things as part of our inheritance. But that's not a joint heir with Christ. You don't get the leftovers of Jesus. Everything that Jesus got, he has given to you. That's the truth of the word of God there. You are a joint heir with him. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Isn't it amazing as we look at these passages that you're going to discover that there is a mixture between walking to the valley of the shadow of death and eating dinner with your enemies, while at the same time that you're being led by quiet streams. Here's a passage right here that's talking about for us that we are being led by the Spirit of God, and yet at the same time it says to us, even those of us who are suffering according to his name. See, this is the reality that, that as sure as a fire has sparks, a man's life has trouble. That's just the truth. And the Lord is helping us to understand here, though, no matter what is going on for the believer, you can be led by the Spirit of God and walk in the peace of God. And you will be led by the peace of God. So let me read another passage for you, because you're going to find this threefold formula. You're going to find peace, trouble, and the leading of God, all right? So I'm just giving you a heads up. In Isaiah chapter 30, therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. God can't wait to be gracious to you. What is he doing when he's being gracious to you? He's giving you something you don't deserve. Now, can you imagine that? We think that God is longing to see us earn something that he can give it to us. But no, it says he's longing to show us uh, an, uh, or to give us something that we don't deserve. Now that's, see, that's the kind of friendship that's closer than a brother right there. We have this standard. Well, you know, when, when you show to me where you're in relationship with me or when you've earned it, I'm going to give you this, you know. So we're looking for good behavior, and when we see good behavior, we're going to give it to them. But the Lord says, no, I long for an opportunity to be gracious to you. Because you just say, well, why would God do that? Because when we do something stupid and God shows us his goodness, when we've been forgiven much, we love much. God longs to show us how good he is and how much he loves us and how it's unearned. That's astounding to me. So he longs to be gracious to you, excuse me, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. When Jesus would have compassion, he was moved with compassion. Why? Because he saw them. They were sheep without a shepherd. They were in a bad spot. They needed to be healed. They needed to be forgiven. They, they needed food. There were so many issues that were going on. And then Lord says this, I long to have compassion on you. So think about these two things that God's longing to do. First off, he's, trying to, he's longing to show you how good he is, even when you don't deserve it. And then he's also wanting to show himself how powerful he can be for you when you're in a real bind. How awesome, what kind of God is that? It's an amazing God. Yes. He waits on high to have compassion on you. Amen. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. So here's what he's saying. As I'm longing for you, I'm inviting you to long for me. Amen. That's why I do it when you don't deserve it. Because when I show how much I long to be good to you, then I stir in your heart a longing to be good to me. When I show you my compassion when you're in a bad spot causes you to return your love and compassion to me. 
So how blessed are all those who long for him. So now the Lord is speaking to the nation of Israel. As I said, this is in the book of Isaiah chapter 30. And the nation of Israel had gotten themselves into a lot of problems. They had rejected the Lord. And the Lord is telling them right now, don't weep any longer. The Lord will certainly be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Now, they had gotten themselves into such a mess. Now, I want you to understand this. Here's what God said. This is the mess that he was longing to override to be able to bless them. This is their mess. The Lord has given you bread of deprivation and water of oppression. They had so rejected the Lord, they found themselves under a judgment. But the Lord is letting the nation of Israel know, but this is not how I want to operate with mankind. He says, but he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will see your teacher. The nation of Israel didn't realize that God was going to become flesh. They were losing their nation, and yet the Lord's saying, I want you to know something. There's going to come a day, though, when your eyes are going to see me. And what did they, when did that happen? When God became flesh and Jesus walked among them. They saw their teacher. That's a beautiful thing. They looked forward to that in a promise, but we look back upon it, and that's our reality right now. Can you be led by God? Yes, you have a teacher. God wants to teach you how to do life. And he has a, he has a textbook as well. It's the word of God. And he says, your ears will hear a word behind you. Listen to this. Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Did you know that that's part of the inheritance of the believer is the voice of God speaking into your life saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then he goes on to say this. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, you cannot presume that you're asking too much of God if you're asking him to lead you through every decision of life. Jesus lived that way. Wait, wait, you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ? How did Jesus live? He said this, I don't say anything unless I heard the Father say it. I don't do anything unless I saw him do it. What is he saying? The Father's right behind me. Saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or to the left. We cannot over-ask God for counsel and direction. Is, you know what? Isn't it true? Even just the, the smallest degree in the compass that we're off can get us miles and miles away from our destination. In the same way, the Lord wants us to begin to learn how to walk, even for some of the smallest decisions. This is the way, walk in it. The voice of the Lord in our lives. There was a prophet, his name was Elijah, and he had found a great victory before the Lord. This is why this sermon isn't just for the new believer, it's also for the believer who's known the Lord for a long time. Because Elijah was a man who knew God for a long time, and he walked in the power of God, and yet, you know what happened? His enemies rose up against him. And for a moment, he got his eyes off, the sight of, uh, eyes off of God, and he entered into a, uh, a mindset of fear. And out of a mindset of fear, he began to run. And running's never good. This is what happens when you're a slave to fear and not a slave to righteousness and to God and Jesus Christ, is that when you're a slave of fear, you start running. And the worst thing is, you don't know where you're going. That's the worst thing. The worst thing to do is run when you don't know where you're heading. Right? 
And so what happens? Elijah had killed the prophets of Baal who were denying the Lord. And then Jezebel, the queen, so he's having a problem with government right now, and she's coming down on him. And so then he just goes to, um, on this run away from the Lord because the queen threatened his very life. And so here's what it said. So while he's running, he came to a cave, and he spent the night there. Good thing he did, because you know why? He just needed to calm down. Sometimes before we, we just find a cave somewhere. Jesus called it your prayer closet, all right? <laughs> Elijah found a cave, and he spent the night there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. See, when he stopped running, and he's in a quiet spot, then God spoke to him. The word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Wow. He didn't listen to the voice of the Lord, whether to go to the right or the left. He got himself into such a bad situation that God had to ask him, Elijah, what on earth are you doing here? Have you ever been in that situation? What are you doing here? You don't belong here. I want to ask you today, are you where you belong or are you where you ran, right? That's a good question, isn't it? So here's another thing. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of armies. For the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. So the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and powerful wind was tearing out of the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Well, wait a minute. Where is the Lord when you're in trouble? When it's getting really loud, should you get louder? When you step outside the cave and you're out there in the real world, and the rocks are falling on you. How do you walk during a time like that? After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Oh, wait, he's not in wind? He's not in the earthquake? And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. See, what happened to Elijah right there is God wanted to teach him something, and God wrote the story out and how it unfolded so that we would have this example for us today so that we might understand that the, the difference between finding and discovering the presence of the Lord but then being able to carry the presence of the Lord out of, outside of the prayer closet and outside of the cave where you're encountering the presence of God. So here we have Elijah stepping out of the calm of the Lord, a calm that he had to discover. Remember, he's running from God, gets into a lonely cave. There he finds the peace of God, and the Lord speaks to him, and the Lord says, go outside the cave. In other words, Elijah, here's what I want to teach you. I want to I teach you how to walk when... It's lightning and thundering and the wind is blowing and the earth is shaking and there's fire on the earth. I want you to understand, but that in those very same places is a quiet, gentle breeze. It's the still, small voice 
of the Father who is behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Learning how to walk peacefully in a chaotic world is necessary for anybody who's walking prophetically or according to the will of God. And God ended up being in the still small voice. He carried the quietness of God inside of his heart. God had to bring him there. So Elijah hears a gentle blowing, and it moves him to the point where he covers. Some people say this is his prayer shawl. He, here, here's a, there's a beauty to that. When you think about the fact that Elijah went into his prayer closet, his cave, and there he's praying to the Lord, but then he goes out into the storm, and he takes his prayer life, and he covers himself with his prayer life, in the middle of the storm. God's teaching him how to pray without ceasing, how to experience the presence of God in chaos. Believing that God is a peaceful God. When, the, when, when something comes against you, and it might fool you, try to fool you, say, oh, God needs you to do this right now. There's, a, you know, there's this, this urgency. Now, it's not that God couldn't ask us to do something moment by moment, but I'm saying... When you get this disruptive feeling of, if, if I don't do this right now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss it. Or, and you feel this pressure that's on yourself. He's not in the rocks. He's not in the wind. He's in the gentle breeze. That's why, you know, you've already learned that. You're at the car dealership, and he tells you, I can only give you this deal before the end of the day. And then suddenly this pressure comes on you, Right. And then you're just saying, should I do this? And you, but then some believers have learned, wait a minute, that's not how God leads me. I, you don't give in to pressure. People will pressure you all the time. And you just say, wait a minute, when it comes with pressure, that's not how God speaks to me. That's not the voice he uses with me. So behold, a voice came and said, what are you doing Elijah, after he covered himself, and he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of the armies, for the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they have sought to take my life. Well, they didn't take his life, and God taught him a great lesson. In the middle, maybe someone here today is running with all their might, running from something or running towards something, but I want to ask you something. Are you operating in the peaceful voice of God? In John chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus said this, These things I have spoken unto you while remaining with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Then Jesus says this, peace I leave to you. Peace I leave to you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor fearful. Resist trouble, troubled heart and fear and receive the peace of Jesus. Now you've, I presume, most of you have read the Gospels. Think of the story of the life of Jesus how would you describe him? I would describe him as very peaceful. He was a peaceful man. I can think of the one instance where he cleared the temple. It was time for that. 
Bible says there is a time for peace and a time for war. But the truth is this, is that when he walked in the will of God, and when he walked in the purpose of God, you see in him a man who is very peaceful. You see a man who remained peaceful even on his trial when he was being falsely accused. He did not respond in kind. He just responded peacefully and gently to the people that were accusing him. It's amazing to me. You know, when you're being lied about, nothing is more aggravating than that. Amen. Nothing gets you more riled up than when people are lying about you. But what, what did he do? Just remain peaceful. Why? He knew his father. That, that, that's basically it. He knew who his father was. And then think how peaceful Jesus was. Then he says this. My peace I give to you. He gave us his peace. How awesome is that? No, he didn't just say, I, I, I'm going to share my peace with you. He, he says, I'm going to leave my peace with you. My peace is going to be available for you. Notice again, peace and the Holy Spirit brought in together. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. The Holy Spirit is here to remind you about the promises of God for your life. I'm going to be wrapping up this series talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and living your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit and knowing his guiding. But in Romans chapter 4, verse 1, I want to read another passage for you. Can you listen along with me? This is a, this is a word of the Lord um, about Abraham written by the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? Let me just, that's kind of awkward the way it's translated, but it means, what did we learn about Abraham when he was in a, in a human body, when he walked in his body? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So then that passage just says right there, if Abraham earned God's favor by his good works, then he, would be, he could brag which wouldn't be cool, but also even before God, he couldn't even brag there. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now think about that. You, you know, it's not like Abraham responded to an altar call at the end of a service. It's just saying here, oh, oh, Abraham believed God. How did he believe God? God says, Abraham, you're a pagan, an idol worshiper, living in a pagan and lustful and idolatrous culture, and are all wrapped up in it. But I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Now listen, that is how simple faith is. I'm going to give you a land, a promised land, and a people that are going to live in that land. And here you go. There was all the indication that when Abraham left, it was called a place called Ur, that he carried a lot of the broken culture that he lived in. He was broken. But you know what changed? Do you know why God worked with him? Because when God said, I'm going to give you a different inheritance than the one you were born into. You're going to live for a different land, and you're going to be a part of a completely different group of people. He just obeyed. Yeah. Now, while we watch him obeying God going to the new land, we see all he lied and he deceived and he did some rascally things. But the thing is this, is that Bible says this, he believed God when God said, I'm going to give you another land. And God said, that, Abraham, right there, that is your righteousness. You didn't earn it. You just received something that you didn't deserve. You just received a promise, and you didn't deserve it. And Abraham says, okay, I'll take it. And he took it, and he ran with it, okay? 
And look what God did for the descendants of Abraham and for the nation of Israel. Now, the Lord is just saying this right here, that God, Abraham believed God. Now, I want you to know, believer, that if, you just, if you've done this, if you said, I'm willing to follow the voice of God, and I believe that he has promised me a life that has nothing to do with where I was born or my previous identity. And I'm going to be a part of another group of people. They're going to be the followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to live for an earthly place or house. I'm going to live for the kingdom of God and for heaven. I want you to know, if you became a follower of Jesus Christ, that expression of obedience to follow him became your righteousness. It's all your righteousness. It's not righteousness plus. It's not that. Because then you could brag and say, oh, I'm, I'm where I'm at because of some of the things that I did. No, we, we can't brag before others and certainly not before God. So now where am I going with this? The one who works, the, the wages are not credited as a favor, but as what is due. So he's saying here, if you earn salvation and being right with God, then God is just giving you what you are due. But then God would be your debtor. That can't be. The one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Anybody here born ungodly? Anyone who believes that God justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Here's what King David said. This is beautiful. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. It doesn't say blessed are those who have never done a lawless thing. It doesn't say blessed are those who've never sinned. It says blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So that's in the book of Romans, but let's just look a little bit further about where that's going in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have peace with God today? Are your sins forgiven? It happened by the promise of God, didn't it? Peace. You have peace with God. Do not give your peace up to anyone or any. Thing. Do not. No. Someone wants to take away your peace, don't let them have it. Amen. Oh, that works, doesn't it? Because we're tempted to let them have it, aren't we? <laughs> the thing is, is that no circumstance, no person, no situation should be able to rob us of our inheritance of peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. You have obtained faith, and it's merely by the grace of God in which we stand. We celebrate, it says, we celebrate in our tribulations. Here again we find that the peace of God comes to us in the middle of tribulation. Why does the Bible keep on saying, walk in peace and then bring up tribulation every time? Because when you are determined to walk in peace, there will be tests that will be all around you. 
There will be the trials of your faith, but the Bible says they're more precious than gold that perishes. It says not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance. When you're tried, what do you learn? You learn how to walk through trials and to persevere and to not lose your peace. If you're in a trial right now and you're saying, God, what am I supposed to learn? The Lord is saying, learn to persevere. And then he says, perseverance brings proven character. So when you're going through a trial and you're deciding, I am not going to lose my peace, then the Bible says your character changes. You become more like Christ. And then when you have more character, when you begin to understand as you're walking this journey, I'm a peaceful individual. I'm going to walk for the Lord. I'm, my character is being changed. I'm learning how to believe. The Bible says then there's an increase of hope in your life. Because the more trials you face, you just say, wait a minute, God was faithful in 77 and 81 and 89 and every time in between, right? Hope rises up inside of your heart. And then he says, and hope does not disappoint. When you learn how through a trial to just hope in God and to not lose your peace, you understand this is that you're not going to be disappointed. God will not allow, those who trust in the Lord, the psalm says, will not be disappointed. And it says this, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, we are so full of the understanding that God loves us, that we're at peace. So I just want to talk about how then can I stay in the peace of God, and then we'll wrap up. Here we find the Holy Spirit again, Romans chapter 8 and in verse 26. Now in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. When I'm talking about this, are you saying to yourself, but I'm weak when it comes to not being fearful? It says, for we do not know what to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We're going to wrap up this series with that. And then it says this, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now here's the thing, you can pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will talk about that. But then here's what it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God causes all things. Do you know what that verse has been said, it described as? The verse most love, we love, most love to quote to others, but we hate it when people quote it to us. We want to give it out, you know. Oh, I'm all through all this trouble. Well, you know, brother, all these things work together for good. But when your life is going down the tubes... And someone says, well, all things work together. Sounds completely different, doesn't it? Sounds cynical, actually, right? We don't want to receive it. Why? Because, uh, you know, we need that proven character tested by trials, which results in hope. And then the believer, how do we stay in the peace of God? You have to come into the full conviction that everything works together for good in your life because you're called according to his purpose. Everything. No matter what, God is watching out for you, putting together the details of your life, and he is the one who's powerful enough to cause it all to work together for good. Now, here's what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to this formula to walk in peace. Philippians 4, verse 4. 
It says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What is rejoice? It means to rejoy, right? You receive the joy of your salvation, but now you're going through a trial. And the Bible just says, well, rejoice in the Lord. Revisit your joy. Remember your salvation. Remember scripture verses that promise it all works together for good. Then it says this, let your gentle spirit be known to all people. Boy, if ever there was a day where the followers of God need to be a demonstration of a gentle spirit and that it's your reputation known to all people. Now's the day. Now's the day for that. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Lord says, don't gripe to everybody else. Just talk to the Lord. And then it says this, listen, rejoice. Don't be anxious. Be ministering to the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. And then he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. The peace of God, which makes no sense. That makes no sense. Everybody will look at you. It makes no sense that that person is so peaceful. That's the peace that passes all understanding. Nobody understands what's wrong with you. But you've met Jesus. And it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So I just want to close with what Simon Peter said. A bondservant I am, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those of you who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm going to speak this over you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, for his divine power has granted to us everything. Did you hear that? His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I pray that you would increase in grace and peace because you have come into the knowledge of God that understands that everything has been provided for in your life and concerning your godliness. It comes to the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted to you his precious and magnificent promises. Oh, they're not just for Moses or Abraham, but they're for you. So that you may become partakers of the divine nature. So that your nature might be more like God's. And that you would escape the corruption that is in this world. I just want to say this to all of us today. As I declare the peace of God over you, I just want to say, walk in the peace of God. Walk in his peace. Get to that place where you are quiet before the Lord and your spirit becomes so quiet in the knowledge of God that when you walk out of your cave, you carry your prayer shawl with you, cover your eyes. You don't see the things of this world, but you see the promises of God. That's what we need to do. I want to just leave with this thought. Never, never have I ever violated that little peace that I received when I gave my heart to Jesus. When it, when it was disrupted just a little. More often than not, listen, the, peace, the disruption of the peace of God in your life will not come to you like a, like a tornado or a earthquake or fire. It's always going to be that little, still, small voice inside of you, the peace. 
So when you're in great trouble, it's hard to come into that place of real peace. You've got to get alone with God. You've got to just say, I, I'm after one intention. But I, I'm telling you this, as, as I, look, I'm 63 years old now, right? So I, I learned a lot of things the hard way. So I'm trying to help you all. Not learn the hard way. If I have a little disruption in my peace about some decision, and I don't listen to that little disruption, the trouble is huge. Every time, the trouble is huge. If you don't listen to the gentle wind that Jesus gave you, you will be the victim of a tornado and an earthquake and a fire. That's what God was teaching Elijah. Listen to the quiet voice. Why would God speak quietly? It's because he has no interest in shouting the way this world shouts. He has no interest in having us be a part of some frenzied movement that the world is involved in. He wants to invite us into the place of the quiet stream, the quiet waters. He leads you beside quiet waters. Can you say amen today? Amen. New believer, listen to the inner voice. You are forgiven and you can trust it. You're forgiven. Trust it. Don't wait 30 years to think that you can hear God. He's giving you peace. Follow the peace. And if you're making a decision, and there's a, we call it being checked in your spirit, you have this little check inside of you like, uh, I'm not, I don't know what it is. I don't know the exact voice. You notice when it spoke to Elijah, it just, it doesn't say a still small voice like some of your translations. It just says there was a, a quiet breeze. There was no words in it. The peace of God, when it leads you, it doesn't mean that you're going to hear like word for word. It just means the Lord's going to say, um, is it quiet? Is there rest? Is there peace? That's what I'm in. And if you don't have it, don't make a decision. All right? Just let it go. Sit on it. All right? Good. Let's all stand up. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord and for the blessing of the peace of Christ that we have. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give an opportunity today for you to see, receive the peace of Christ. The way to have peace is to be reconciled with God. Some of us have never met the Lord, and so not being in peace, we just feel like that's regular life. That's how it feels. But when you're invited into the kingdom of God and you receive the peace of Jesus Christ into your heart, when your sins have been forgiven and washed away, you know the peace of God. You know the joy of the Lord. I want to invite you today, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never had your sins washed clean from your record by his blood, today can be your day of salvation. Ask yourself the question, do I know and do I have the inner witness inside of me that I'm a child of God? Do I know that I know I'm a child of God? If you can't get that answer from the Lord, then the Lord is inviting you to come to him today and settle that once and for all. You don't need to be an orphan in this world making it on your own. You can receive a spirit of adoption whereby you cry out to God and you call him Abba, Papa, Father. 
I'm going to ask you to do two things if you want to receive the Lord today. It's not a formula. I just want to help lead you. If you want to be included in a closing prayer saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to just to raise up your hand saying, Pastor Jim, I'm including myself in that prayer. And then if you raise your hand, I'm going to invite you to come forward, step out of your seat, come forward and stand in front of me here, in front of the church. You won't have to say anything or do anything. But the Lord said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you've never met Jesus, would you just lift up your hand right now? You know what that, it's a tug that's on your heart. You can feel it. You can feel the Lord. There's this urging, this deep inside urging saying, this is what you need. You need this today. Don't let that voice pass you by. You know, he'll not always strive with you. He'll not always have the same voice of drawing you. So if you're here, just quickly. Would you lift up your hand saying, Pastor Jim, today I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God. Just bless you and I give you glory and honor for these people. I pray, God, that they would be a peaceful light in this world. I pray, God, that they would be joyful, unafraid. Lord God, that they would be bold, filled with the Spirit of God, have wisdom and understanding. And Lord, let them be led by your voice. Walk with them, Lord God, and let them know whether to move to the right or to the left. I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you all. There are going to be folks here in the front to pray for whatever your need is. If you didn't respond, but you want to give your heart to Jesus, please come forward. Let them pray for you at this altar. If you need healing, whatever your need is, provision, let these people pray with you today. Thank you so much. God bless you all for coming. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.